Heavenly Father, we do come before you and ask that you would bless our time of worship of you as we listen to your word. Lord, we pray that we may hear what you have said so many centuries ago and that it may invigorate us to serve you all the more faithfully in the century that we are in. Lord, we pray that you may bless this time and we pray that you may particularly speak through me and may I be an encouragement to these people as they serve you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever heard someone say to you the line, who are you to talk to me about that? Who are you to talk to me about that? It can be when we're talking about any kind of subject, some people sometimes want to know what are our qualifications to be able to speak on such a subject. I sometimes uh, get not so much the line, but a bit of a look from people whenever I show an overly um, expressed interest in someone's foot problem. So I, they will be talking to me, they'll say, oh, I've got a really sore foot, and I'll say, oh, what's wrong, and where's the pain? And I start to ask a number of questions, and they start to look at me a bit quizzically, like, why are you so interested? Uh, it's going beyond the usual bounds. And then I explain, well, I, am, I was formerly a podiatrist, and so I have a bit of an interest in foot pain, and, uh, and maybe even able to help you by giving you some suggestions on what you might be able to do. This morning we're going to be looking at someone giving instructions to someone, uh, to a group of people, and firstly he wants to explain how he is qualified to speak on that subject. And that person is Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we've been slowly working through this book, in 1 Peter chapter 5 he now speaks to elders. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1 says, To the elders among you I appeal... He's now going to address the elders of the church by appealing to them and particularly by giving some instructions to them that we will look at in later weeks. But firstly, Peter seems to want to express why he is qualified to speak about the subject. What gives him the right to talk to other elders of another church and try and tell them what they should be doing? You might say, well, why would Peter think that he has to give his qualifications? Well, it might be because the elders of the churches that he's writing to might not have a very high regard for Peter. They might think he's okay, but they might have heard a bit about what he got up to when Jesus Christ was on earth. Some Christians even today seem to think very highly of Paul, but when it comes to Peter, they always seem to be talking about Peter's mistakes. What mistakes did he make? Well, he made quite a few um, dumb statements while Jesus was around, but then particularly he made a denial of Christ three times. When Jesus was arrested, he had said beforehand, I will die for you, Christ. But then he was ready when a little servant girl, the lowest common denominator of society, says to him, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he lies and says, no, I'm not one of them. And he later on starts to call down curses on himself. He takes serious oaths about his relationship with Christ and denies it. And maybe the people that uh, Peter is writing to, are probably lots of them are Gentiles, uh, we see who they're listed back in uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Uh, and those scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, there's, this, this is not Jerusalem that he's writing to. 
Maybe they've heard about how Peter has a bit of a strange relationship with Gentile converts. In Galatians chapter 2, we see that Peter, he had been told to go to the Gentiles and had embraced the Gentiles into the religion of Christianity. But later on, from fear of Jews, he started to withdraw from them. He started to not want to eat with Gentile Christians. And that's a very insulting thing for someone to do. Imagine at church lunch after the service today that I say, I'm not going to eat with certain people here. I'm going to withdraw and have my own special table. And it will just be special people who get to sit at that. That's very insulting if you're on the, not on my table. Um, if you're on my table, maybe you think it's a great privilege. But it's a horrible thing. And so I'm not surprised if some of the elders that Peter is writing to might have their suspicions about who is Peter to talk to us about what it is to be an elder. So this morning we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and look at what Peter says about himself to show how he is qualified to speak about the subject of eldership. And so the first thing we see... And my first main point this morning is that Peter is a fellow elder. He says that in verse 1. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. What does it mean, though, that he says he's an elder? What is an elder of a church? Well, the term elder is a very old term that was actually used back in uh, by the Israelites. And we saw it in Exodus. We saw them talking about the elders of the people of Israel. Moses was to go and speak to those elders. And they were basically the leaders of the community. And so it wasn't surprising that then following on from the Jewish tradition, the early church picked up and had leaders of their churches and referred to them as elders. And so elders are not simply elderly people, which is what we might think, uh, that they're older men, that the the word is masculine, so it is definitely males. Uh, They're not just elderly people. Uh, Not all elderly men are qualified to be elders. Um, There's some who are immature and not qualified to be so. And some young men are actually qualified to be elders as well. We see that particularly with Paul. He has a relationship with a young man called Timothy, and he says Timothy is qualified to be a teacher of God's people, to be a leader in the church. So it doesn't just mean elderly people. It means people who are leaders of a church. And Peter calls himself an elder here in verse 1. And I think he does that deliberately to show that he is qualified to speak to other elders. Why does he do that? Why does that show his qualification? Well, if he calls himself an elder and he is an elder then he knows what it is to do an elder's job. And so then he's qualified to speak as one elder to another elder and tell them what they should be doing. Just like I, as a, when I was a podiatrist, I could speak to other podiatrists and say, as a podiatrist to another podiatrist, here what is what I think you should do in that situation. And so that's what Peter is doing. He's saying, I am an elder. And so I am qualified to speak to you as elders as well and speak to you about what you should be doing. But I think he also calls himself not just an elder here to show that he is qualified to speak as one elder to another. He also says that he is an elder, I think, to show some humility to these other elders as well. Because Peter could have pulled out a bigger card in his book to show that he is qualified to speak to these elders and tell them what they should be doing. What is that card? What is Peter also? He's an elder, but he's also an apostle. And he actually mentions that back in 
chapter 1, verse 1, he opens up the letter with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so he could have said, I appeal to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then gone on from there. But he doesn't. He says, I'm a fellow elder. And I think he does that to show some humility to them, that he is one of them, and he's a fellow along with them, that he's just one of many. He is an apostle, yes. But when he speaks to them now, he comes to them as an elder in all humility and says, I am just one of you guys, and I think I have some things to tell you, some instructions to give you on what it means to be an elder. So Peter is qualified to speak to elders, firstly, because he does that job. He is an elder of the church where he is, and he even shows some humility in speaking to them, which helps win them over to listen to what he says. But what else qualifies Peter in this passage to instruct the elders of the churches? Well, my second main point is the second thing that I see there, and that is Peter is a witness of Christ's sufferings. 1 Peter 5 verse 1 says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter says, I am a witness of Christ's sufferings, so you should listen to me and what I have to say to you. Now, how does being a witness of Christ's sufferings qualify Peter to be one who speaks to other elders? What does it mean to be a witness of Christ's sufferings? Well, firstly, it means that you tell people about Christ's sufferings. He knows about Christ and what he endured at the cross and what the cross was all about, and he tells others. He doesn't just keep it to himself. He's a witness. He testifies, and he testifies in a way that very few people can in, as a, someone who actually saw Jesus get arrested, saw Jesus uh, get uh, probably flogged because uh, he was there in the courtyard. Uh, I mean, he was he had all kinds of other things. It's a bit hard to know what he exactly saw. Um, and the other disciples fled. But I'm sure G, um, Peter did see Christ at least on the cross. He may have been from a great distance, but he saw Jesus indeed go through great suffering. And he then doesn't just keep that to himself. He's a witness of that suffering. And that qualifies him to speak to other elders because this is a fundamental of the Christian faith. Christ's death is a fundamental and then a fundamental part of being a Christian, particularly being a leader in the church, is to be one who talks about Christ's death. And so Peter says, I'm an elder and I'm a good elder because I witness Christ's death to other people. I'm a testifier about it. But I don't think it's just that when he says, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings. I think there's another way we can take that, and I'd like to think that there's this dual meaning here, that we don't have to pick one or the other. I'd like to think that when he says, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings, he also means I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings even in my own body. Uh, back in verse, uh, verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 4, we looked at what it means in verse 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that we actually join in in the sufferings of Christ. When we are persecuted for being a Christian, when we go through pain for witnessing to others, for struggling with Satan and overcoming sin in our lives, we actually experience the suffering of Christ. And I think Peter is 
probably intending part of that as well. He's a witness of Christ's death at the cross, but he's also a witness of Christ's suffering that goes on even in his own life. He is someone who has experienced suffering for Christianity. And this qualifies him to speak to other elders because elders of churches are often the people who suffer the most for being Christians. I don't know if you recognize that, but people who persecute the church, they love to go after the leaders of churches. Just like the Jewish leaders went after Christ because that means they could scatter the sheep. If they tack the shepherd, they can scatter the sheep and undo a lot of good work that the shepherd was doing. And so they didn't really think that they needed to do much with the disciples because they thought if they get Jesus, everything will unravel. And it's the same today. People come after the pastors. If you read about persecutions going on in other countries, who is targeted by governments that hate Christianity? It's the pastors. They come after the pastors. And it was so happening in the early church as well. They go after the leaders of the church. And so these elders that Peter is writing to are people who know what it is to suffer. And Peter then comes along and says, I've got some instructions for you. And they say, who are you to talk to us? And he says, well, I am someone who has suffered for being a Christian. I have witnessed Christ's sufferings even in my own body. I'm not some ivory tower theologian who sits back while the rest of the world gets, uh, rest of the Christian world gets in the trenches. I am someone who has suffered for being a Christian. And we see that in the New Testament. Peter clearly did suffer for being a Christian. He was imprisoned for being a Christian. He was flogged for being a Christian. And church history tradition holds that he was actually crucified eventually. And Jesus hints at that at the end of John's Gospel, that someone will take him where he doesn't want to go and he will stretch out his hands. And as the tradition is that he was crucified upside down. He, what, he said, I, I just can't be crucified in the same way as my death. It would be too great an honour. As my saviour, it would be too great an honour. So I request to be crucified upside down. He was someone who definitely witnessed Christ's sufferings in his own body. And so that means that Peter says, I give you some instructions. I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings. Don't think that I don't know what it is to suffer. And so I have no place to give you instructions. No, I know what it is. I am a witness of Christ's suffering at the cross and I'm a witness of Christ's suffering even in my own body. So we've seen two qualifications. What is the third one? Peter's third qualification is that he is someone who will share in the glory to be revealed. And that's my third main point this morning. Peter will share in the glory to be revealed. And we read that in 5 verse 1. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. What is Peter on about there? by saying, I'm someone who will share in the glory to be revealed. And how does that qualify him to speak to elders? Well, Peter is telling them that I am a Christian. I'm someone who has a heavenly hope. I'm someone who is going to heaven, which is certainly a good qualification to be able to speak to Christian leaders of a church, that I am actually a Christian myself, and I am someone who has a heavenly hope, and I tell other people about that. I have a focus on teaching people about the glory to be revealed. And we've seen that as I preach through 1 Peter, 
We've seen again and again, he keeps bringing up the glory of God to be revealed. The salvation that we will receive when Jesus comes back. He can't keep quiet about it. He goes on and on about Jesus' death, but he also goes on and on about the glory to be revealed. And Peter says, I'm someone who's going to participate in that, and I'm someone who keeps telling you about that. And so I'm definitely qualified to talk to elders of a church because I'm someone who does the elders' job of talking about Jesus' death and talking about the heavenly reward that we will receive. Those fundamentals of the Christian faith about Jesus' death and about the resurrection and our participation in that resurrection. I am someone who is qualified to speak about it. And it's interesting the way he, he talks about that, that glory to be revealed. He says, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Whenever I study any of God's word, I always try and look at every word and say, well, what would happen if that word was missing? What point would be lost? And so what would be lost if he hadn't said the word share there? And I think what Peter's saying is that he shares in the glory of God along with others. It's not just him who's going to heaven, and so he is one who can tell the the scum who are left behind about what it means to be an elder of a church. He's a sharer. He's putting himself down in a humble level again and saying that I'm just one who shares in that glory. And I share that with others that they can become Christians. I talk about the heavenly reward and the salvation that is given to Christians so that they can share in it. I don't just go on and on about heaven abstractedly as though it has no meaning for the people that I'm sharing it with. I want them to share in that heavenly reward with me. And that's a good qualification for an elder. An elder should be someone who is sharing about heaven so that people will share in heaven, wanting to see people become Christians. And so I think Peter is well qualified to speak to other elders for those three reasons that we've given there, that he's a fellow elder, that he's a witness of Christ's sufferings, and that he is someone who will share in the glory to be revealed. Well, that's Peter and those elders back 2,000 years ago. What's the lesson for you? How can this text have any meaning for you today? Well, I've got three points after my first three points about Peter about you. Fourthly, my fourth main point this morning is have fellow elders in your church. You as a Christian should have over you an eldership. Peter expects that in every church there are elders Some people say there's no church government in the Bible, or if there is, it doesn't really matter that much. We can work out what we want for our churches. We can structure our churches the way we see fit. But Peter expects that there's elders in churches. He writes to them. And not just in in one church does he expect it. He expects it in many churches. I mean, that's what he said in how many churches is he writing to back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He writes to strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. A whole bunch of places. And he doesn't say, okay, to the elders in Asia, but then to, uh, I've got something to say, but the rest of you guys, I know you don't have elders, so I've got nothing to say to you. No, he says to the elders among you, expecting that there's elders in every church. Peter is interested in church government and assumes that there's elders there. And you could even say that this letter is written to churches that have elders, and so really this letter has no place for churches that don't have elders, that don't have leaders of them, because he expects that the churches that are reading this letter would have that. And if the church doesn't have elders, well, then this letter is really not written to them. 
And so if you are a Christian, do you have elders over you? Because you should. You should have elders over you. And you shouldn't just have one elder. You should have multiple elders. He expects that there's elders, plural, in the churches. And we see that happen again and again in the early church. Why have multiple elders? Why would God want elders appointed in every town, not just an elder, just a pastor appointed in one town? Well, it means that there's no one, that churches shouldn't be a one man ship. The elders need one another. I mean, if elders are attacked, then they're going to need one another for support, for encouragement, for listening to each other, for that love that they require as they go through suffering together and trying advancing God's kingdom at their local church. But elders, if you have elders, you should have elders because that means that you've got humble people leading your church as well. If you have multiple elders, then that means those people, those people leading the church, those men, need humility to listen to each other. Pride makes some pastors not really want elders. They may have that in the structure of their church, but they don't really want elders. They come along and they're employed as a full-time elder, and there is an eldership, but they really don't want to listen to those elders and hear what they have to say. And the reverse also works sometimes as well. There's a church... They call a man to come and be their full-time elder responsible for preaching and teaching. But really, they don't want his opinion. They will tell him what to do and what he should be doing. And when he doesn't do what they say, he can get out. They aren't interested in his opinion at all. But if you have elders together, then you need humble men in those eldership positions because they need to listen to one another. And they need to be humble, not just in listening to each other, but you need to have elders who are humble enough to listen to elders from other churches. How do I get that? Well, these elders that Peter is writing to are meant to be listening to a fellow elder of another church, which is Peter. Some churches seem to think they know everything. And the elderships of those churches think they know everything and they don't need help from anywhere outside their church. And they end up seeming to think that they're the kingdom of God on earth and everybody else is part of the heretical kingdom that's going to damnation. But Peter wasn't writing to such churches. He was writing to people who would have elders over them who are willing, although a little guarded, because he seems to give out his qualifications, a little guarded about the advice that comes. But you need elders over you, you should have elders over you who are willing to listen to advice from outside the church. And I know this from experience. I like all the advice I can get. I like to talk to other pastors. I like to read books. I like to listen to sermons by other pastors of other churches because I need the advice. But that requires humility. And so you need humility in your eldership if you're going to have elders who are willing to listen to other elders from outside the church and also even within their own church, within their own eldership. So have elders over you who are willing to be humble and listen to each other and to other elders. Fifthly, have elders over you who witness Christ's sufferings. Have elders over you who witness Christ's sufferings. Remember that was one of the qualifications Peter gave for being an elder. And it should be the qualification of all elders of every Christian church. 
every elder of every Christian church should be witnessing about Christ's death. If Christ's death and suffering is not mentioned by an elder on a regular basis, if that is not the focal point of his life, then he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be in eldership. He should be a witness of Christ's sufferings, and people should know it. A witness is someone who tells people about things. It shouldn't be that Christ's suffering is just part of his own personal life. He is someone who tells others, and people know because they hear him talking about Christ's death on a regular basis. And then remember the other way that I took that way that Peter talks about Christ's sufferings? Not just a witness of Christ's suffering at the cross, but a witness of Christ's suffering in his own life. And so elders of churches, of Christian churches, should be ones who have known what it is to suffer for Jesus Christ. And that can happen in lots of ways. It can be suffering from people persecuting them outside the church, but also just suffering in their own life as they do battle with Satan. Elders of churches should be men who are holy in the way that they live. And the way to holiness is usually through suffering and pain as you sweat and fight against Satan as he tries to deceive you and drag you down in sin. And so if you've got elders above you, they should be holy men. And if they are holy men, I can guarantee you it is because they have suffered for being a Christian. They are ones who have fought against Satan. We seem to want to take a pill and be holy, like if God just handed over just hands it over to us, that we become holy. But to become holy requires pain, sweat and tears as you fight against the sins in your life. And that's the kind of people that you should have as elders over you. People who witness Christ's suffering at the cross and witness Christ's suffering in their own lives as Christ suffers in them, as they sweat against and fight against the sin in their own life. And what other instruction is here for you on who you should have as elders over you? My sixth main point this morning is have elders who will share in the glory to be revealed. Remember that was a qualification for Paul as an elder. Someone who will share in the glory that is to be revealed. And so that means you need elders over you who are Christians. Elders over you who are constantly looking forward to heaven. And then telling others about that so that they can share in heaven as well. The elders of the church should not be restricting heaven just to a certain number. Some people, some uh, churches, well, they're not Christian churches, I don't think. They teach about the 144,000 mentioned in the book of Revelation is a set number of certain people who get to go to heaven and be part of God's kingdom. That's not the teaching of God's Christian elders over his churches. They keep on sharing and sharing and sharing the gospel so that more and more can be added to the kingdom. And so if you have you should want to have over you elders who are going to share again and again with those around them that heaven is a marvelous place and they can share in that. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to share that with you now. That heaven is a wonderful place. It is a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no evil, no sin in heaven. It's a wonderful place. And you too can be a part of that if you come through the death of Jesus Christ. I want to witness to you that Jesus Christ has died for sinners such as yourself if you will come to him in repentance and faith. Repent of your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you and share in that heavenly glory. 
So if you're here this morning, are you a Christian who submits to a church with elders? Do you make sure you have elders over you? Do you have humble elders over you? Ones who are willing to listen to each other and listen to even elders outside of Dremoyne Baptist Church or the church that you go to? Do you have elders who witness, are witnesses to the sufferings of Christ? Christ's death of the cross and Christ's suffering even within themselves? Do you have elders who are sharers in the glory to be revealed and actually share that glory to be revealed? Do you have elders like that? Are the qualifications that Peter describes of himself as an elder, do that describe the elders that are over you? If so, thank God that you have those men over you and pray for these kinds of things to be continued to show in their their life, that they continue to be elders of humility. If you want to pray for me and the elders of this church, we'd love you to pray more that we are humble and willing to listen to each other and to listen to people outside the church as they give us advice about what we should be doing for, for you. Pray also that we will be witnesses of Christ's sufferings. We can always improve on how good a witness we are to Christ's sufferings. Pray that for us. And pray that we will be people who share in the glory to be revealed. Thank the Lord that we are people who are going to heaven. Pray that we will share that glory that is to be revealed with others so that they can go as well. And if you are an elder of this church, and that includes me myself, Do you embrace these qualifications? There's two other elders here this morning. Are you working at being humble to listen to other elders? Are you a witness of Christ's suffering? And are you a sharer in the glory to be revealed? Let us come to our God in prayer. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your word. We thank you for how it instructs us as to how we are to live if we are to experience your blessing. Lord, we pray that we may have elders of the churches that we attend over the decades who are like Peter, who are ones who recognise that they are only fellow elders amongst other elders and have humility to listen to others. Lord, we pray that we may always have elders over us who are ones who... Witness Christ's suffering. Witness Christ's suffering at the cross, are witnesses to that, and are witnesses of Christ's sufferings even in their own body as they fight sin and experience even persecution for being Christians. Lord, we do also pray that we may have elders over us who share in the glory to be revealed. May the elders of the churches of this, that the people of this, this morning attend, may they always be ones who are Christians and looking forward to that heavenly hope and also share with others that glory to be revealed and want people to participate in that glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.